Hebrews chapter number 4, we've been studying for several months the names and titles given to the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the pages of the Holy Bible. We have come to the letter G, and this morning we are going to look at Jesus Christ who is said to be, and thank God who is, the great high priest. The great high priest. We're going to read a, a rather lengthy portion of Scripture together to get, the, get our bearings and get the context. Then we'll pray, make some introductory remarks, and then go back and evaluate the passage before us. Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for man in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Holy Bible revealing these truths to our hearts this morning. We ask and pray that you'd, you'd help us to see truth, believe truth, embrace truth, and leave here with a greater appreciation for our Lord Jesus Christ than we ever had before. We thank you and praise you in his holy name. Amen. Now, for orientation, we've got to go back to Old Testament times. God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, were in bondage and slavery for 430 years in Egypt. On Passover night, they applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of the house, the side posts, the two upper posts. By faith in the word of God, they applied the blood of the lamb. And the Lord delivered that night. He set free from bondage all those who had put their faith and trust in His Word, in the blood of the Lamb. And, and He led them out of bondage and began to lead them to the land of promise where they would enter into His rest. In between those two points, the, the place of bondage and the promised land... They stopped at Mount Sinai and were given the law that would govern their day-to-day -day lives upon the earth. 
Part of that law was a system of sacrifices and of offerings. Obviously, these were not given to set them free. They had been set free. Obviously, these were not given to save them from bondage. They were already saved from bondage. They were given to it to direct them and to help them maintain a right relationship with their Savior. Focal and key to that system of offerings was someone to oversee the offerings, to lead in the national worship and the national religion of the children of Israel. That man was the great high priest. He wasn't chosen by a vote of the people. He wasn't chosen because of military conquest or or victory. He wasn't chosen because of his wealth or his education. God, just because he's God, selected Abraham to be the high priest. And it was the duty, and, or, 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 I'm sorry, Aaron, selected Aaron to be the high priest. And it was the duty and the responsibility of Aaron as the high priest to officiate at the altar to receive the sacrifices and offerings of the people and present them to God and to receive blessings from God and present them to the people. He was, if you will, a mediator or a go-between standing on the part of God to minister to people he had saved, and standing on the part of the people who had been saved to represent them in the presence of God. That was Aaron's duty and responsibility as the high priest. Now, there's some problems with Aaron, the high priest. Number one, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he too had sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because the wages of sin is death, and and because of of sin, death passed upon all men for that all had sinned, Aaron had a tendency to, well, fall apart and eventually die. And he had to be replaced, and then his son would, would, would suffer the effects and wages of sins, and he would fall apart and die, and he'd have to be replaced. And so the priesthood of Aaron was perfect in its ordination, but imperfect in its application because the man who stood as priest was as much a sinner as the people he was representing and was as as subject to death as the people on whose behalf he was ministering. So there was a need within God's perfect system of worship for a perfect high priest. One who did not sin, one who therefore did not die. One you could count on. Now let's suppose you, you live back in, in Bible times when the life expectancy was much, much longer than it, than it is today. And, and you, you could look back as you sat upon your porch at the age of 110 and you could remember that man who was the high priest when you were a boy and what a great, great high priest he was and how you missed him. Because his son was a real loafer who didn't seem to care much for you or for the job. And then you could remember the, the third in line, and then the fourth in line. You could pair, compare them one to another, but always somebody could throw into that conversation, yeah, but you remember the time when he did that. And you remember the time when we really needed him and he was on vacation. And you remember the time when it was we, we had to have a, that, that special ceremony and worship, and he was sick. He always got sick. Listen, no matter who you put in that office... He couldn't measure up 
to the need of the people. He couldn't measure up to the expectation of the nation. And he certainly couldn't stand before God as one who wasn't every bit as needy as everyone else. And one day, God chose another great high priest. Not Aaron, not Aaron's son or grandson or any one of his lineage, but God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he didn't just step into the high priestly office. He did something else beforehand to make him remarkably and uniquely qualified. He came into this world to live as a man in a body of flesh. And he voluntarily faced every temptation that a man or a woman could face. He voluntarily felt every pain and every heartache and every grief and every sorrow that a human being could ever face. So that unlike any high priest who ever held the office, no one comes to Jesus, the great high priest, to consult with one who does not understand. No one comes to Jesus, the great high priest, and pours out to him a problem for which he is not qualified to help. As much as I, as I love you and care for you, many of you have come to me with troubles and burdens and trials, and, and I have listened and I have prayed with you, but I have no idea what you're experiencing. I can't possibly enter into the fellowship of your sufferings because that's never happened to me. I've never faced that. I've never dealt with that. But our great high priest went to the cross and he bore all of our sins. He carried all of our sorrows. He made himself acquainted with our every grief. He bore the full penalty for every consequence of every sin so that no one ever comes to Jesus Christ the great high priest and pours out their heart and has the Lord say, I just don't know what you're talking about. Because he does. I can't relate because he can relate. Now notice, notice on whose behalf our great high priest is ministering. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse number 14, the feeling of our infirmities. The Bible says in the same verse, tempted like as we are. Then the Bible says in chapter 5 and verse number 2, compassion on the ignorant, and chapter 5 verse 2, and on them that are out of the way. First of all, we just have infirmities. There are areas of weakness in our lives that try as we might, we cannot overcome. It's just part of life. It's not that this isn't the sin part, this is the life part. Come on, we get hungry. We get thirsty. We get tired. We get weary. We get troubled in our mind. We get confused in our spirit. I'm speaking as reverently as I can. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, sitting on his throne watching 4,000 years of human history, didn't have a clue. 
He had observed famine. He had never been hungry. He had listened to the prayers of people in the midst of drought. He had never been thirsty. He had watched men and women deal with fatigue and weariness and the longing for rest. He had never participated. He sat behind the veil in the Holy of Holies untouched by our feelings. I'm not, I'm not being disrespectful. That's the truth. But one day God took upon Himself the form of a man. And in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, we read of that man being 40 days in the wilderness without food, and afterward he was unhungered, the Bible says. We read of that man hanging on the cross and saying, I thirst. We read of that man kneeling in the garden, facing the cup of wrath, and saying, Father, is there any other way? We read of him standing at the graveside of Lazarus, groaning in his spirit. We read of him being troubled in in the very depths of his being. We now have a God who understands human infirmity. It's different now than it was when Aaron and his sons were the high priests. It's different now. Also, the Bible says the feeling of our infirmities and was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, I'm going to say to you that God, and I'm being as reverent as I can, and I'm being as scriptural as I can. I'm just telling you what God said. This is God's testimony about himself. It's one thing to sit on the other side of the universe and tell people down here what to do. It's another thing to come down here and be one of them and do it. Come on, every child at one time or another has said under their breath, they have murmured and complained against a father who gives them rules he doesn't keep. There's not a child alive that hasn't been aware at some time or another of mother's hypocrisy for punishing me for doing things she does herself. Come on, that's that's just... Everybody, when they get tired of church, they point at the preacher and say, oh yeah, he don't practice what he preach. And and, and every worker complains about the boss who doesn't work as hard as I do and makes twice as much money. We all get that. But I'm telling you, for 4,000 years of human history, men could suffer the wages of their sin and murmur under their breath, what does God know about it? He never had to keep all these rules and all these regulations and all these commandments. He doesn't know what it's like to be surrounded by these people and listen to this language and have this stuff put in front of him and have this opportunity to do wrong and that opportunity to do wrong. What does God know about it? So you know what he did? He came down here and he didn't come down here and live in a palace with a bunch of servants bowing down to him. He came down here and was born in a manger. He grew up in a home where people called his mother a lewd woman, accused him of being born out of wedlock, mocked and ridiculed his father. He grew up working with his hands as a carpenter. He was, was common in his appearance. He was unattractive in his physical features. He worked and labored with his hands. He was lied about 
out. He was blasphemed. He was accused. He was misrepresented. He was hated. He was forsaken. He was despised. He was rejected. Let me tell you something. He did all that and never sinned. He never said a foul word. He never retaliated. He never, he never murmured. He never complained. He never lied. He never stole. He never cheated. He never cut a corner. He said, I do always those things that please my Father. Everything you faced, He's faced. You know what, you know what there were in the, in the days of Jesus? There were harlots. There were thieves. There were corrupt persons, there were perjured persons, there were drunkards, there were addicts, there were people possessed with devils. There were, everything in the world today was in the world then. There's not a single sin being committed in the state of Florida today that isn't spoken about in the pages of Scripture. There's no new thing under the sun. It was all there when Jesus walked this earth. And for 33 and one half years, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The third thing the Bible says about us, it's not entirely flattering, which is why so few people read the Bible, is that He can have compassion on the ignorant. Now there's a lot of different ways to view that word ignorant, but none of them are nice. If you call someone ignorant, they're not going to send you a thank you card or, a, or an I appreciate that. But ignorance to me doesn't, doesn't imply stupidity. Ignorance to me doesn't imply a lack of mental capacity. It's our word to ignore. People say, oh, the Bible's full of mistakes. They're ignorant. They, they can read, they can process what they read, they just don't want to read the Bible. So they make statements in ignorance and defend them with their lives. They say, well, I, just, I believe Jesus is just a man like every other man. They say, well, I don't believe Jesus ever lived. That, listen, they could know better. There's ample evidence from people that never believed in Jesus Christ There's historical record from people who were not Christians of his life, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, the founding of his church. All of that's available, but people choose to be ignorant. Well, I just think all those churches, all they want is your money. Well, that's an ignorant statement. You haven't been to all the churches. There are some that you might notice don't even take up offerings. So, it's not that God can't be known... It's that people choose not to know Him. It's not that the way of salvation can't be found. It's that people don't look for it. And you know, under the Old Testament law, there wasn't a lot of tolerance for false religion. Under the Old Testament law, you couldn't just go to the church of your choice. You couldn't just worship the way you wanted to. You want to practice witchcraft? Execution. You want to set up idols? Execution. You want to worship some other god? Execution. That's the Old Testament law. For 2,000 years since Jesus Christ came into the world, He has with long-suffering patience and incredible tolerance allowed men to bow down to idols 
has allowed men to put their faith and trust in water, not his blood, has allowed men to participate in sacrilege of one form or another, and continually offers to forgive them despite their ignorance. That's some high priest you got there. He's not interested in meeting out death and destruction. He's looking to have compassion upon the ignorant. Come on, let me, let me put my arm around you and bring you over here and show you what you've been missing while you've been bowing down to that carving that you made 300 years ago. Come here, let me, let me introduce you to a real God, to a living God. Oh, you think the Bible's full of mistakes? Let me, let me send you somebody on your job that's actually read it and studied it and can show you what it says. Come on, come on. That's, I, I don't want, I'm not willing that any should perish. I don't want you to die in your sin. Come on, have a seat. He's compassionate. And the fourth thing the Bible says about us, the, the ignorant and them that are out of the way. I've, I've been a Christian for a long, long time. And quite often, I find myself out of the way. Have you ever gotten out of the way? I'm not talking about people telling you to get out of the way. I'm talking about, I'm talking about when you actually, by your own volition, go out of the way. There's not a person sitting here today that hasn't done some things they know the Bible says they shouldn't do. We've gone out of the way. There are, there's not a person here that doesn't know there's some things the Bible requires of them and they've just opted to go some other direction. Every one of us finds ourselves more often than not out of the way. Now, it is for the infirmed. It is for the tempted. It is for the ignorant. It is for the wandering that we have a great high priest. Jesus is not sitting in heaven today as the great high priest to save sinners and give them eternal life. That's, an, that's an, another office altogether. He sits in heaven as the great high priest to help people who have already been saved with their infirmities. To help people who have already been saved with their temptations. To help people who have already been saved with their ignorance. To help people who have already been saved to get back into the way. Thank God for a great high priest. I'm saved. I'm out of Egypt. Hallelujah. I'm saved. I'm going to the promised land. Hallelujah. But it gets messy in this desert. A lot of things happen out here that shouldn't happen. And I need a great high priest. Now let's see what he does for us. The Bible says in verse number 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Here's the first thing that I learned. What Jesus Christ became to me the day that I was saved. He wants me to remember. He is that very same thing to me every day for the rest of eternity. I got saved one day because I trusted Jesus Christ. 
Verse 14 says, I can still trust Jesus Christ today. Today, I can trust Jesus Christ. I'll say this carefully. I don't want to open up any wounds. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to be critical of, of anybody's uh, kinfolk. Because that, that really gets people upset when you do that. But some, some people, on the sound of my voice, had fathers who would be father to you up to a certain point or until a certain event, or until that happened, and then from that time forward, you never again had a fa- the father you were supposed to have. It might have been something you did, it might have been a crime or offense you committed, it might have been a separation or a divorce, but because of that, many people have a hard time believing that the person who's supposed to always be there will always be there. You know what that Bible says? Our high priest, if you ever trusted him, you can always trust him. If he was ever there, he's always there. The, the, the difficulty some people face in their life, because what mother was supposed to be, mother wasn't, is hard to calculate, it's hard to measure. I went to court with a man one time, and, and the judge said, I'm going to ask, it was family court, he said, I'm going to ask each one of you when you come up here, what kind of relationship you had with your mother. I thought, what a strange thing to ask. You know what that judge had learned through years of sitting on the bench? You can't make up for what was lost when mother walked out the door. You can't make up for what was lost when mother gave herself to the bottle or gave herself to the cocaine. You can't compensate for that. And so I understand that it's very difficult for some people to believe that even though I did that, Jesus still loves me. And even though I failed again, Jesus is still there for me. And no matter what happens, I can always come to Jesus. But I'm telling you, no matter what happens, you can always come to Jesus. He's never walked out on you. He never will. He's never fallen by the wayside. And He never will. He never got caught up in some inappropriate relationship that just made made you insignificant. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Those are the words of our great high priest. So that you may say, boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man may do unto me. So that's the first thing. He's always there. Verse 15. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It's a double negative. It becomes a positive. I don't know how that works. That's just how it works. I don't have to know how it works, but it works. We have not, which cannot, means we have. So why didn't God just say it that way? I don't know. If it's important to you when you see Him, you can ask Him. (laughs) But here, you know what we have? We have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling. Now this world, they talk all, it's all feeling now. 
People, people tune in by the millions and they sit and watch Oprah ask somebody, well, how'd you feel? Well, how do you feel now? Well, how did that make you feel? Well, how did the people around you feel? Well, what do you feel? And then Oprah looks at the camera and says, don't you feel it? I feel it. Do you feel it? Everybody feels it. Let me tell you something. When your heart's broken, your next door neighbor might be nice. They don't feel it. When you lose your job, your co-workers might say, sorry, they don't feel it. When the doctor tells you it's cancer, we might all shed some sympathy tears. We're not going through the treatment. I'm telling you, there is only one person with a heart big enough. There is only one person who is a being powerful enough to not only feel, what every single one of his children is feeling, but powerful enough to handle it without going all to pieces himself. Come on, as, as a pastor who cares, I'm not capable of taking the concerns of just a group this size into my heart. I couldn't survive that. You couldn't endure that. Your heart would give out. Your emotions would unravel. Your mind would, would, would depart. You couldn't do it. But God became man. And God Almighty, God the All-Powerful says, I do know how you feel. I do sympathize. I do care. I will help. Come to me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. His website never gets overloaded. It doesn't shut down when too many people try to apply for help. If every person on this earth right now all turned their hearts to God and every one of them poured out their burdens and cast all their cares upon Him, it would not tax Him in the least. He can take it all. What a high priest. What a great high priest. Did you know if you, if you went to see Aaron, you say, Aaron, I, I really need to see you. I got some stuff bothering me and, and, and nobody can help me but you. You're the great high priest. Can I come and see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock? He'd say, I'm sorry, I got somebody else coming to see me tomorrow at 4. How about 4.30? Actually, I'm booked all day. I, can, I could probably work you in Friday afternoon, maybe, maybe. But if this pers- first person, if, if they're as unhinged as I think they are, I might be with them more than the scheduled half hour. I might not get to... Look, come on, just being honest. Your doctor might care for you. He just might have too many patients. Your psychiatrist might care for you. He just might be getting medicated himself. You just, you just don't know. But I'm telling you, you don't have to make an appointment to meet with our great high priest. And you'll never call on him and have him say, I can't fit you in. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says in verse number 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace to help in time of need. Now I can say this as, as pastor, I can say this honestly. There is nothing you could come and tell me that you have done that would shock me. I I, I have sat and heard people that that had been for years t- testimony of salvation. I I've I've sat with them and had them tell me they didn't mean to kill the guy. They didn't mean to do what they did to ruin their marriage. They didn't mean to do what they just. I mean, you you just wouldn't believe the things that I've that I've heard. You just, but but here's here's the thing. Having heard that stuff, and having done my best to counsel that person according to the scripture, it forever changes, in some way or another, my relationship to that individual. I mean, like it or not. Once you tell me you burned the house down and tried to kill somebody, I just view my invitation to dinner list differently. It's probably not right to move you down to the bottom of the list, but I'd be tempted to say, Jimmy, you know, when you're having that bonfire at your house, I I wouldn't... I wouldn't let this guy know about it. There are, there are also things in my life and things in your life that you have wisely opted to not tell your very best friend. Because there's a part of you that knows they're not that good a friend. Or one day they might not be that good a friend. And this is really something I'd rather not have posted on Faceplant. I'm just going to keep this to myself and hope to God it never comes out. But you know, your great high priest, he already knows what you did. He already knows why you did it. He knows everything crawling around in your heart. He knows everything tormenting your conscience. He knows every idle word. He knows every improper thought. He knows every bit of it. You know what he said? You can trust me enough to come boldly to my throne and get help with that and for that and you have my word, it will not affect our relationship. Now that's a great high priest. You have no one else to whom you could tell your deepest, darkest secrets and have them still love you unconditionally. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. You have no one else to whom you could come with all of your temptations and say, God, I'm about to fall again. God, I'm struggling with this again. And he will never hold it against you, but will do everything in his power to help you. You've no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus. Alone. That's what the songwriter said, and he had it right. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Then the Bible says, in verse number 16, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God saved us by His grace. Grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. Mercy, mercy, is not giving someone 
what they do deserve. I had one brother and two sisters, and one of my biggest problems in life was not the things that I did that I shouldn't have done. It was coming up with sufficient threatenings to keep my siblings from reporting it. Because my father didn't view his job as being one always calling for mercy. Sometimes he saw it as his duty to be the executioner of judgment and discipline and correction. And so we would constantly say to one another, uh, to one another if you tell dad, and you know, he's been, he's been gone. He's been with the Lord for many, many years now. And there's still things that we're, just, we're not going to talk about. <laughs> I don't believe God would let him come back down here, but just, just at the outside chance, we're not bringing him up. And you know something? Every one of us in our lives... There's probably, if I said right now, what's the one thing you wouldn't want to have to stand up and confess to this congregation, there's probably something would shoot into the heart and mind of every honest person with a living conscience here this morning. Oh God, no, not that. Please don't ever let anybody know that. He knows it. And he's merciful. He is not going to give you what you deserve. He's going to give you the help needed to go on with your life while dealing with that. Or the help needed to not ever do that again. You don't have anybody that will be to you what Jesus Christ wants to be to you. What a confidant. What a trusted friend. Everybody's raised different. I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't go up in that religion where you go in the little booth and the guy sits on the other side of the screen and says, So, <laughs> tell me, <laughs> what have you done since you were here last? <laughs> oh, uh, do I have to? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't get to heaven if you don't. Yeah, and guess what? If you do, you're never leaving the church. <laughs> He said, man, how come how people stay in a church? That, that, well, if a guy running that church knew every rotten, dirty criminal act you'd ever committed, <laughs> it'd be hard for you to walk away, wouldn't it? You know, there's some people that if they knew what you'd done, might leverage it against you. There's some people, if they knew what you had done, they might use it to their advantage and your disadvantage. Never, 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 never. Will the great high priest leverage your sins against you? Never, never, never will the great high priest take what you've done wrong and work it to his advantage and your disadvantage. He's not like that. You can trust him. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken among men is ordained for men. In things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, and who can have compassion on the ignorant, on them that are out of the way. 
For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, and by reason there he ought is for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that's called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh... Now watch this carefully. This is Jesus. When he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. Unto him that was able to save him from death. And was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now with that, quickly, come to Hebrews chapter 2. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, or 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation with the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That word, we don't use it often in our modern day. It means to run with all speed to aid or to assist. Now look at the context. Jesus, with strong crying, is facing something he does not want to do. But he knows the Father wants him to do it. It will be very unpleasant for him temporarily. But it will bring honor and glory to God. And what does he do? He cries out to his Father for help. His Father runs to help him. And he dies to pay for our sins upon the cross. Now... Having been through that himself, when something arises in my life that I find unpleasant, for whatever reason, I just don't want to do it. But I know God wants me to do it. Instead of making excuses, instead of opting to sin, if I would call upon Jesus, he would run to help me do what will bring glory to the Father, enabling me, strengthening me to do more than I ever could have done without Him. How about that? Now, I'm, I, this, this, is not, this is not pick on anybody. This is, this is just to illustrate, because it does illustrate, and it illustrates perfectly. Next Saturday afternoon... A total stranger will be sitting in a folding chair on the sidewalk in downtown DeLand. He's going to sit there for three hours next to his wife who has a video camera. And they are waiting for their daughter who's in the gymnastics club to come by that spot in the road and do a cartwheel. And they are going to film that. So that for the rest of her life, she can have a record of the time she was in the Christmas parade. 
Well, that's really exciting for about the 15 seconds when their daughter's going by. But the other three hours, a total bust. He's trying to make out like he enjoys it, but he's not. There's a game on. He thought the parade might start on time and he might get to see the fourth quarter, but all hope is lost. And he's sitting there waiting for the parade. And all God wants you to do is walk past that man this quickly and say, Sir, can I give you something to read while you're waiting? It's about Jesus. And you'll never see that guy again. He'll never see you again. He's not going to stab you. He's not going to shoot you. They're not going to take you to a concentration camp. He's going to say yes or he's going to say no. All you have to do is smile and offer him a piece of paper. But you don't want to do it. Because there's a game on. (laughs) (laughs) Or... You're afraid or embarrassed or you just don't want to. Look, you just... But it's God... You you know God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know He said that, but you know you don't want to. Now, you know what Christians... Save people. They won't pray about it. They won't ask the Lord to help them. They'll just, it's not my thing, it's not my gift, somebody else will do it, I I have a different place... But you know what Jesus wants? He's sitting there waiting with the power of Almighty God to help you be better than you are. To help you do more than you're doing. To strengthen you so that you can please the Father. And that's what He wants to do. He wants to help you. Now, it might be The tongue you can't tame. It might be those bad words that you keep using. It might be a a lack of forgiveness towards somebody that's asked you to forgive them. Whatever it might be. Why do we go on in the energy of our strength saying, I just can't do it. When the great high priest, with the power that enabled him to bear the sins of the whole world, is offering to help you do what you don't feel you can do. Let's let's phrase it this way. You know what a blessing it was to just see that we could come to Jesus after we had sinned and get help? How about this novel idea? How about coming to Him before we sin and get help? Why wait until we've done it to seek forgiveness? How about before we do it, ask for the strength to be better? I'm glad my parents took me to Sunday school when I was a boy. And I learned a lot of good things, a lot of truth from the Bible in Sunday school. But I also learned a lot of things that that I had to unlearn. Not a teacher, a dear, sincere Sunday school teacher. And that's what she taught us. You need to keep track of the things that you do wrong through the day so at the end of the day you can confess them all to God and get forgiven. Well, as a result of that, I still remember a lot of those things I did wrong because I I made a good mental note of them. Do you know what she should have said? 
You should start each day praying to God to give you the strength and the grace to not commit sins. Why go out and do them and log them and then come in and report on them and get forgiveness? Why not come to God first and get the power and the grace and the strength to not do it? We have a great high priest. Now let's go back to where we started. Children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. Remember how they murmured about the... Bitter waters, and afterward the Lord forgave them. Wouldn't it have been better had they started out by trusting God for water? Remember how they made the brazen, the, the serpent, the, the complaining the serpents all bit them, they had to make the brazen serpent to get healed? Wouldn't it have been better had they just gone to the Lord for victory over their complaining? Again and again and again we see God getting them out of messes they got themselves into. But had their worship been proper and their relationship with God have been proper, they wouldn't have gotten into all those messes. And we have a great high priest who, thank the Lord, he's there to clean up the mess. But you understand he's there to keep you from making the mess? Isn't that a blessing? Let's stop by mom again. When you've knocked the glass off the table, again, and when the stuff is spilled all over the floor, again, she'll still love you after the cleanup. But you know what she's going to say? Next time when I tell you not to put the cup at the edge of the table, would you listen to me? It's not that she stops loving you. It's not that she won't help you clean up the mess. She might even love you enough to not tell dad when he gets home. But why keep doing it just because mom's merciful? At some point, we ought to let the instruction kick in and take some measures to keep from making the messes. And our great high priest... He will help us clean up the messes in our lives. But he'd really like for us to listen when he says, Would you stop setting yourself so close to the edge? See, he wants to help beforehand as much as he wants to help afterwards. So, wherever you are this morning, we have a great high priest. And he can be touched, and he is touched, and he can help, and he does help, and he, he can make our lives what we want them to be. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All that's available, but it's found in Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Amen. Father, help us.